0: Hey everyone, it's your host, Luke West, back with another episode of the Imperfect Pod. I don't want to make this intro super long. I just want to say Liz Plank is someone who I've been wanting to have on this podcast for a really long time, ever since I read her book in the summer of 2020. And we made it happen just this past Friday. She'll be sending me a new, a couple copies of her book as the paperback comes out yesterday, February 2nd. This is getting released February 3rd. Um, so make sure to follow me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod. Liz is a wonderful, genuine person who I had an amazing, conversation with. Uh, she is an author, a journalist, an executive producer, host of several critically acclaimed digital series of Vox Media and NBC, uh, but mostly we're going to talk about some of the messages that take place within her book, um, For the Love of Men, A New Vision for Mindful Masculinity, and just i had so many questions i had so many topics about it for those that have listened you know i've mentioned this book quite a few times uh things including you know being in america and talking about masculinity in the trump era Uh, The difference between how the left and the right might come at this conversation Why it's destructive to say that all men are violent and much much more Uh, So liz if you're listening back, thank you so much for being here everyone. Thank you so much for listening This is a highlight of my podcasting journey and let's get into the show now Hello, Imperfect listeners. I am here today with Liz Plank. I'm very, very excited for Liz to be here. For those that uh, are average listeners to the show or dedicated listeners, you know I've referenced her book quite often throughout the last 30 episodes, I think, since I've read it. Um, But Liz, I'm going to give you the same treatment that I give everyone else with asking you the same first question, is who is one person, dead or alive, that you would like to invite over for dinner, and what would you cook for them?
1: Well, uh, just because of the times that we're going through right now and the grief that I still have not yet processed about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her passing in 2020, I would definitely invite Ruth Bader Ginsburg (laughs) over to my house and I would cook her whatever she wants. Literally, like it could be a peanut butter sandwich with pickles in it and like a side I would just I would go and move mountains to find what Ruth Bader Ginsburg wants to eat and 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 be able to feed it to her
0: amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was I know that was a huge impact I don't know too much about her but I know that was a huge impact for the women's movement in the states yeah. which is where you're mainly living now right even though you are a Canadian
1: I am Canadian, yes. yes. Um, and, and I've been living in the States yeah, for the last seven, eight. I mean, does 2020 even count? I feel like we're not counting. No, That is a year. Uh, but yeah, for, for about eight years.
0: Perfect. And, and I, knowing that you're from Canada, Montreal, I believe, just yeah. for all of my Montreal Canadian listeners, what is the best restaurant that, uh, or your favorite food place in Montreal?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, so I used to live above uh, La Bivette which is a really great wine bar and they also have just the best french fries and snacks and and sort of if I'm vegan so it's a little tough but there's they have these amazing boards with like meat and cheese and and like chicken and Uh, But it's a great, they also have great salads and and wine. Uh, Mm -hmm. Wine is vegan, thank God. Uh, So I, yeah, I really love when I go back to Montreal, um, going back to to that place because, yeah, I lived above it for several years. And um, it's just very nostalgic for me when yeah. I get to go back yeah
0: lots of wine in 2020 I'm 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 sure
1: lots of wine <laughs> lots of ev- lots of anything that's legal right now yeah. <laughs> like very thankful for, <laughs> to be in California um where yeah you can just get all kinds of little helpers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to get you through the
0: year <laughs> and well, actually yeah. at
1: le- weed is legalized in Canada too right it, yeah. it got legalized a few months ago or I guess in 2020 right Oh, I think it was like 2018. Yeah. Okay. It was, I mean, again, been a while. I should just avoid talking about years and time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's been
0: a while. Even then it was decriminalized, I believe. I don't know if my parents, my yeah. parents listen to the show. I've never done it. You know, so. we
1: never know. No, no one smokes weed. What is no. that? Never. No. So
0: <laughs> knowing I mean, so I remember before even starting this journey of my podcast, Masculinity, I remember walking into a bookstore in Toronto and seeing it there, and I'm like, hmm, this this seems like an interesting Mm. book. And then about seven months later, I actually bought the book, and I read it all in one weekend at my cottage, which is my favorite place on earth.
1: Uh.
0: Um, Your book, For the Love of Men, uh, Taking the Steps to a More Mindful Masculinity, is coming out on paperback very soon i believe hopefully it's next week correct
1: february 2nd yeah February
0: second so actually yeah. the day after or a couple of days after this podcast mm. before this podcast will be posted I'm, I'm really curious that as a woman living in the states being canadian what was your motivation behind writing this book in the first place and and what's your personal story with masculinity mm. and and that whole journey
1: yeah thanks that's a great question being in the states um, and 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 working in the states when it comes to uh, women's rights was was a calling that I just kind of felt. You know, I I obviously had done a lot in in my own activism at, when I went to McGill. I was in like every feminist club, like annoyingly. Asking you to come to all of our movie nights and like book uh, uh, big sales. And like, I was that person. Um, So I was definitely involved in in Canada. But once I basically moved to the States, I really realized that unfortunately, the United States felt like a third world country uh, when it came to women's rights. And obviously, when it comes to a lot of human rights, and we've seen it during COVID really worsen, and um, we've seen particularly masculinity and the, um, I think, wrongful definition and, and the misleading definition that we have in our society really prove itself to be that much more damaging, um, not just on personal level for people, but on a societal level. So we've seen that, you know, leaders of countries that have, that exhibit certain kinds of traditionally uh, masculine traits. And I hate like calling it traditionally masculine because to me tradition you know there's some great things about tradition um but to me it's 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 you know when i say traditional masculinity i mean those sort of old ways of defining uh masculinity rooted in dominance in aggression in winning at all costs you know when we think about the leaders in the world that kind of represent that kind of masculinity or that kind of definition of masculinity, people like obviously Donald Trump, Bolsonaro in Brazil and Boris Johnson in the UK to, you know, a certain extent, all of them really, I think there was a a clear, especially this summer, realization that those were the worst places, the, the, the places where some of, you know, their populations were the worst off and where it was handled um really really badly and all three of them got covid by the way and you know it was no surprise when Donald Trump got covid it, it's kind of like you know when when a kid is jumping on the bed and you're like stop jumping on the bed and they keep jumping on the bed and they fall off you're not like happy but you're like yeah duh um so so we we've seen i mean covid has just been like this amplification of, of all inequalities, right, and all of the ways that uh, our world is reach its potential, and people can't reach their reach their potential when we're stuck in these old ways. And and I think, yeah, COVID has shown us, especially when it comes to masculinity, that that we uh, need to rethink and reimagine what it means to be a man because right now, um, it's leading to, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but yeah, it leads to a lot of, of, of difficulties for men ranging from, you know, mental health issues, um, from feeling, you know, very isolated and feeling like you can't be uh, vulnerable or intimate and connect with people because you're supposed to be this tough guy. And yeah, it's leading to, you know, rise in suicide rates and deaths of despair. Um, there are a lot of men who are suffering and, and that's what I really came across. When I started mm-hmm. writing the book, I was just really determined to bring men wake up men actually to the need to come into the gender equality conversation. But the more I talk to men and the more I interviewed men, the more I realized that they uh, should be in this for us, for women, but they should also be in this for themselves because there is so much to gain from being part of this movement.
0: Yeah. And and one of my favorite things for those listening about your book was that it was very empathetic. It wasn't accusatory of men at all. I didn't and I thought going in that it would be because you kind of hear in quick tweets and social media yeah. a lot of brashness towards men, a lot of um Oh yeah. just it's it's not a healthy way for men to be involved, which is why I'm I'm totally against the kind of kill all men movement, which is viral because <laughs> as you mentioned in the book too, uh, there's a quote that you had about admission of of growth. And if you're accusing men of being bad, they're going to not mm-hmm. going, they're not, they don't want to grow through that. They are just going yeah. to stray away from that conversation, which is why mm-hmm. I really think you're, it stood out to me. And I'm like, I totally agree with this as a man because I've never really felt conditioned by society standards I don't know if it was because I was homeschooled till grade nine so I didn't Mm kind of grow up being uh grow up being told you know boys will be boys I never really heard that term okay I have two sisters I'm the youngest of four so I think that really helped me with where I am today but that's Mm -hmm. why I liked your book so much is it was just empathetic I I read it and I felt heard not Mm -hmm. you're a terrible guy and you Mm -hmm. used a lot of stories throughout the book uh Trans men, men in the oil fields, about sharing their stories, and I'm like, yeah, like the, this. These are are how men feel, and that yeah. is more true. And you're they're they're going to feel hurt. They're not going to feel heard, which is the most important, in, mm. in my opinion, when you're trying to get them on your side. Which is yeah. why I loved your book so much.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. I'm so glad that it was um, that it was helpful for you. And and I and I think it's that. Tension, right? Between, and it's something that I still struggle. You know, to be completely honest with you, like it's something that I have to remember because it is like so easy to um, just go into just go into hate or go into negativity or go into you know basically the opposite of 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 empathy, which is you know not being forgiving. And for the for a long time, like I was that way, but I also <laughs> I realized like this actually doesn't help the person who I'm trying to help. And it also doesn't help me because ultimately forgiveness is also about, it, it's actually less about the other person than it is about you and about freeing yourself. Mm. And that's where I see this as a, as a win-win where I see it as a win for women not to have to take on this burden and take on, you know, harmful behaviors or tolerate things that they don't want to tolerate. I think that women uh, tend to, I mean, we tend to stay in situations that are unsafe or that are, you know, where we're being mistreated because I think that we are, you know, told that we're nurturers, we're told that we have to be empathetic. But actually, like being empathetic to yourself and to another person is also holding them accountable to a certain standard mm-hmm. and saying, I understand that you're doing this and instead of just saying you're doing this because you're a bad person saying I know that you're actually better than this and I want to help you get there right. Um, And I think that shift for me was just very liberating and I got, you know, I still get criticism from Particularly, women who are like, "Why do we need to talk about men again?" Like, you know that that why did you spend four years writing about yeah. men when, uh, you know, women's stories aren't told enough? And but but that's where I I actually think creating this was a way to set myself free, um, just as much as I hope it sets men free too.
0: Yeah, and there was a quote that you had at the be at the end of the intro, I think intro chapter where it says. I want to make it clear that talking about masculinity is not a distraction from the problems of women, rather it's the most effective way to properly address them. That's yeah. the quote I took a picture of and put in on my Instagram because I'm, mm. I'm like exactly because when I first started this podcast, everyone was saying, why are you making a men's space to talk about these mm. things? and i'm like well men get accused all the time of not sharing these things so that's my main goal it's not to create like a male only space i want it to help women who listen and can say mm. okay this is how i open up with my or i get my husband or boyfriend to open up or this is how mm. i understand that men also help body self esteem issues like it's yeah. not supposed to be anything but helpful to women like that that is the main goal it's why i've had like mm. a self proclaimed feminist on to say because I, I honestly think feminists and men's right activists, and as I I've read Michael Kimmel's book, too, Angry White Men, they're on the same page and almost if they only understood that they're on the same page because men's rights activists, you know, they want more fair custody battles. They want to be able to feel like they can love their children. That's the same thing feminists are doing. It's just their way of getting there seems to be a little bit different and men feel not heard in that process. But, you know, I think if they just reframed the conversation, like the men's rights activists just reframed in their head what was going on, they'd see that the patriarchy, the same systems that you alluded to, are the ones that are are holding men down. It's men freeing men, not women yeah. freeing men or m- women being against men. That is the problem.
1: Right. That's exactly right. And, and I think the men's rights activist movement, I mean, I, I remember hearing that word for the first time and being like, You just think it's a positive thing, right? You're like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, they just like fight for, you know. And unfortunately, I I think it's one of, actually it's one of the saddest, it really makes me sad. It really makes me sad that it's been co-opted to your point to exploit, I think, real suffering and real pain that that many men are feeling Mm -hmm. and say, I hear you and I love you and I support you women are to blame right it's the same way that um you know unfortunately we we see these you know white nationalists i mean it's these online communities are doing it really well but but um where they yeah they lure people with real you know because those people are isolated and those people are suffering and they have vulnerabilities but they exploit that pain for their own gain and so and they i think give you the wrong solution to your problem which is you know yeah, being against feminism uh, for men is that alluring, I think, solution that they're presenting and they're saying, well, you feel in pain because women have too much power or women are to blame for that pain. And if only, yeah, there was us (laughs) being able to, to your point, join forces and be like, we, we want to eradicate pain and suffering and we want to come together and here's how we're going to do it. um, by ridding ourselves from this, 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 this super oppressive system that we've all been brainwashed really to believe is, is, is true. In fact. And, and when you think about even, I mean, it, it applies to so many movements. It even applies, I think, to, um, you know, income redistribution and how, very often the poor are, are really exploited um, to support policies or support politicians, populists who present very alluring solutions um, to their problems that are really real. Mm-hmm. The problems are really real. And it makes me sad because, you know, and I'm going to always come back to Trump, even though we're done, <laughs> but, but, you know, Trump supporters, quote unquote, have become this, you know, ultra villain, in American society. And I know, and I understand for, you know, people of color, for women, for, you know, all kinds of people, how, how you know, and people who have, you know, uh, had conflict within their families. But it's so sad to me that Trump's supporter is the villain and not Trump, right? Like that the person at the top who is wielding their power and um, exploiting vulnerabilities sh- should always be the one that's held accountable. And the people who are vulnerable to falling for that kind of uh, exploitation. If we blame them, then we're actually doing what the what the system wants us to do, right? We're turning against each other, which is what I feel like MRAs and and feminists end up doing. Mm-hmm. MRAs and feminists end up fighting each other instead of realizing, wait a minute, we want the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, if we if yeah if we fought together, we, we'd be able to achieve something.
0: Yeah, and I definitely wanted to bring up Trump too because I know that you talk about him a lot. To me. So I've joined a couple men's groups on Facebook that are more mm-hmm. on the right-wing side, like some of the language that they use. I'm not sure if you've heard of like Order of Man, Ryan Mickler. He's a big, big figurehead in Tell masculinity. Tell me what that is. so what it's is a, Like their slogan is protect, provide, and preserve like that. It's, it's very okay. much traditional masculinity. He does want men to be accountable. He does want men to be noble. You know, the t- typical traditional, not fully bad qualities, but bad in in some ways. But the problem is, is that I don't understand why so many men who communicate that to themselves then vote for Trump, who is none of those characteristics. Like That Mm. is the part that really surprises me about the Mm. whole Trump era, is that, yes, they love these churchgoers, God-loving, dedicated to their wife, um, work hard type of, of... men that's the that's the Mm. type of man they aspire to be Mm. which trump is literally none of those traits and that that is the most confusing part of it all to me as as Mm. what seems to be rational or or what they desire to become is the exact opposite of what they vote for when biden i mean i'm not American politician politics systems to me is yeah. kind of just whatever. But like mm-hmm. he lost his wife, he's or or uh, ch- and child. He's yeah. gone through a lot of pain. Seems like someone yeah. you should be able to empathize a little bit more mm-hmm. when it comes to those things. And yet he's vilified f- because of his idea on gender politics. So so to me, it's it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So I was really curious to hear a little bit more of your insight about how that puzzle comes together as you've talked to I'm sure Trump supporters you've been at Trump rallies to to interview them Mm -hmm. I I know you had a, uh, a post about that recently too
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I was, you know, on the campaign trail for Vox um, starting in 2016 and, uh, or, or actually, you know, even before that in 2015 is actually when I, uh, when Trump started, you know, announced his run and, because and, ele- we're always in election year in the States. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> never ends. And yes, you're right. There was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of masculinity politics. I mean, coming from women and men, it wasn't just from men. And, you know, you would just ask them, a simple question, you know, why are you here? Why why do you support Donald Trump? And very often it was just very coded language around, around masculinity and around being taken care of and having someone in charge who is tough and who will, you know, I even had a doctor, uh, this uh, woman doctor who is a woman of color in New York, you know, you just kind of like expect uh, her to be anti-Trump, but no, like she is an immigrant and she was like, you know, doesn't trump make you think of your of your dad like like and he does not um i my father could not be more different and my modelling of masculinity could have not been more different I, I actually talk a lot about my dad in the book but yeah there was a certain sense of like that's what the man of the house does right and he yells and he screams but like he's in charge and you're safe and even i went to a trump rally um uh, oh <laughs> just in 20 20- yeah, I was still, I wasn't at Vox yet. It was 2015 and Donald Trump, uh, it was the rally where, and you know, no one, I don't know, it's really hard to remember all the crazy things that Donald Trump said and did, but it was the time that he called Ted Cruz a pussy. Um, and I'm sorry for your parents who are listening, um, but you know. <laughs> Much worse has been said like on to, this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't like to send, I, I hate, I don't want to censor his own, vulgar language. Like, I don't want to, I feel like that's a disservice to, to really being truthful about how, how, um, violent, uh, disgusting he is. But so he called Ted Cruz a pussy a woman, and basically what happened was a woman yelled, he was talking about Ted Cruz and this was, you know, obviously when Ted Cruz was uh, running against him and Ted Cruz said, Donald Trump is the biggest threat to America. And now he is, uh, you know, <laughs> supporting yes. Donald Trump in every possible way. But, uh, so so a woman in the audience yells, Ted Cruz is a pussy. And she was in the front row and I was uh, around there. And um, Donald Trump laughs. And then everyone, everyone laughs, you know, sort of in the audience because they, they heard her, and he knew he was on TV live, and so he goes, "Oh, you know what she said? That's, that's a bad thing to say." She called, and, but then he repeated it, right? She yeah. called Ted Cruz a Pussy. And I actually <laughs> this one of my proudest accomplishments I'm still waiting for my Pulitzer um, I found the Ted Cruz pussy lady, OK. And every, all the journalists were looking for her, by the way, because it, it, that was the zoo. And like, we were all like, where is she? And I got a hold of her, and I interviewed her very briefly. And I asked her, why do you think, like, why are you supporting Donald Trump? And she said, and I quote, he has the balls the size of watermelons. And then she proceeded to describe the size of the balls of all of the other men who were still running for the Republican ticket, the Republican, um, uh, you know, to be the nominee. And she goes, you know, Marco Rubio, is like raisins. It's like grapes. Uh, And she just, and I, again, this is very, (laughs) like, I wrote an article about it. I did, like, publish the interview because I was like, this is pretty fascinating. But I think back a lot at that woman. And I think back at a lot at how overt the, this was, you know, we tend to think about Donald Trump as like, oh, sexist voted for him or racist voted for him. And actually data came out just after the Capitol riot that more than sexist beliefs, more than racist beliefs, more than homophobic beliefs, a belief in a very archaic and traditional definition of masculinity is what predicted support for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020. So we should be talking about all the other isms, but holy cow, like, how can we be so you know to me that that should have been like on the front page of every newspaper like mm-hmm. and and that's how I felt writing the book where I just it, it just blows my mind that you know we are having these conversations but we're still not mainstream like people are like you're talking about masculine what like and so yeah it it is incredibly important to um to understanding American politics to really understand how the definition of masculinity has really carried so much, so much of, so many of the narratives and, and Jackson Katz, who's an incredible author uh, just made a movie called the man card. That's a documentary really documenting how masculinity was represented in every election since I think the 1960s or like, yeah. And, and he really goes into details. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I wish we had more of those analysis to, to, because then we'd really be able to understand a, a movement like that and, and yeah. why he was so effective.
0: Yeah. And I uh, I reached out to Jackson uh, like two weeks ago or something, trying oh. to get him on. Uh, I think I read some of his stuff because I took communication studies. And but, so I was familiar with his name and then I saw him through you. And then I read some articles afterwards. I joined a few like more on the um, left side of the conversation okay. about masculinity. So I'm, I'm getting a, a nice balance of opinions, but the mm-hmm. Facebook group's terrified me around the Capitol Hill because I'm like, I'm in this group just seeing what's happening. And it's like, if you post about be, like liking Trump, it's it's all hooray and yay. And if you post about voting for Biden, everyone will call you like a communist and a socialist. And I'm like, I don't know what you yeah. are thinking, but it, it's I, I'm more there to people observe, but mm. I definitely wanted to see your stance on it because you were so yeah. much part of that campaign. Yeah. and it's And it's interesting to...
1: Can I ask you, yeah. like, what do you think, having been in both spaces, because you're right, there's a mm-hmm. mas- there is a masculinity conversation. They don't call it that. Um, but there is a masculinity conversation happening on both sides. So what do you think is, like, the biggest difference between how the right talks about masculinity and how the left talks about masculinity? Like, how, what are the solutions that they see? And what do you think like leads a man to go like you know not to call one the dark side and one not which is you know that's how I feel about it but like what leads a man down the right wing path like that's like or Mm -hmm. the MRA path
0: what are are they what are they what are
1: they seeking you know truly do you think
0: yeah I think they're seeking outlet is is mm. my biggest thing, or or seeking welcoming. I think like the the fundamental aspect of all humans is that they want to feel part of a community. And as you yeah. talk about in your book a lot, a lot of like almost everyone in this one group is I would say middle-aged man or maybe like between twenty-five and thirty-five, uh, yeah. or, or to forty-five, when I think that's when men become really lonely and they kind of lose out on mm. a lot of things. It seems to be in the in the right communities. It's a lot of trades, um, which are typically you vote uh more Republican, I would, I would say, because it's more blue-collared yeah. workers. Um but I would I would say that the main difference is it's it's really fascinating because I would I would say that the main difference is wanting to to be like I feel like both of them are lost in the sense that they've never been told mm. that they're a man and they're trying to figure out where their manhood lies.
1: Yeah.
0: With one side, it tells you that you're responsible for it. You, uh, you have to provide. It kind of gives you, because the thing with providing financially is that it gives you a goal that a lot of men think they can achieve. So yeah. it's like very clear cut. Okay, I just have to make a certain amount of money and then yeah. i f- I'll feel like a man I'll have to be a certain amount of success in sports, and then I'll feel like a man. I would say on the left side, it's a lot more self reflective there there has to be a little bit more work done on your end to figure mm. out how you fit into the puzzle for me, like when it comes to some of the conversations on the left, I know like getting rid of the I think gendered terms in in the the house is what they did recently. To me, I think it is detrimental to get rid of the terms father and mother. But I think it you could also include the word parent. I don't think it's bad to get rid of gender terms, but I don't think it's also helpful to get rid of them because I think there's still an importance in in honoring mm. a father, mother, co mothers, co fathers, like however it works in the relationship. Mm. And the right will see that as a detriment to manhood. Mm-hmm. They'll see it as taking an erasure, away yeah. an eraser of a goal that they're told manhood is supposed to become. Yeah. So as as a man you're supposed to become a good father. If they take away that title from you, which is okay. I think how they see it, that takes away a goal. If you're taking away the idea that men have to be a provider, well now what do I have to do to, yeah. to feel like I'm a man? But mm. I loved how in your book that it separated the idea of what a provider means. Like, why does it have to be such a narrow lens of yeah. provision only means financial?
1: Mm. Why can't it
0: also mean I'm a nurturer in a providing way? And my wife, mm-hmm. like to me, it's like I, I can't afford a single house in or single income household <laughs> anymore it's like impossible in any yeah. world who cares if my wife makes more than me i want to work yeah. from home i want to be around the kids when i'm like i'm a dad or or a father mm-hmm. like i being homeschooled my mom worked from home my dad worked from home so i mean like yeah. i that was just always what i i kind of knew mm-hmm. and it, it surprises me that i guess more people don't feel that i would say that's the main difference is one has clear outcomes of what it means to be a man and the other mm-hmm. ones like, you figure it out you put in the personal work and a lot of people don't want to do as much yeah. as people talk about doing self care and self love
1: a lot of people don't, don't put in the work well it's hard self care and self love the thing about it is that people don't realize it's not you know going to the salon the spa no. it's uh it's the deep shadow work and that's a really good point yeah i think i mean it it speaks also to i think the way that the right and the left tend to to talk which is the right tends to make things really simple and the left <laughs> to make
0: things too complicated,
1: complicated. Yeah. and i mean this is not a novel you know take a lot of people um talk about this but but it, it it but but you're right though that it's like the the path yeah i love thinking about they're both lost and they're both trying to figure out who they are and one option is presenting them a pretty simple uh way that doesn't I mean, it's simple. It's not achievable, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Like, and and that's what I talk about in the book with with guns particularly, right? That uh, providing is becoming really difficult in America, particularly, but all over the world where income uh, inequality is just growing. And so what you have is actually the wealth of white men has continuously increased, but most white men do not see their wealth increase. They see their wealth stagnating. And how do you explain that <laughs> contradiction? And I understand that's a really frustrating contra- contradiction for a lot of white men, right? Mm. Who are barely making, you know, p- being, being able to pay for their bills, being able to feed their children. They may have one, two, three jobs. And then they see white men have everything and white men have privilege. Right, that I understand that that is such a contradiction, but the reason why the huge amount of wealth that's owned by white men has not trickled down to most white men is because of income, uh, you know, the failures of uh income redistribution particularly in the United States where we've seen now the 10 richest men in the world could have provided vaccines for the entire world right and we there's just this Oxfam report that came out that's pretty jarring if we read if white men as a group <laughs> redistributed their wealth in a way that was equitable yeah. m- white men in this country would be able to provide uh, they would be able to protect and i think would be able to achieve that you know, sort of masculine, I don't know if want to call it fantasy or ideal, but most men can't. Mm-hmm. And so that's where guns come in. That's where, you know, so many other devices come in where, um, and, and uh, Angela Stroud, who is an academic I interviewed for the book, talks about this. She talks about how because so many men can't provide for their families, they're going to opt to protect. Mm-hmm. And protect Again, in the very simple term, very simple solution, here's a gun, you're gonna protect your family. As we know is not uh it's actually you know having a gun inside the household actually puts um a man himself and his family more at risk yeah. um, having a gun inside your home for a man it, it is just we know that suicide rates are 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 very high in the United States for particularly white men, and that having a gun inside the household just makes it that yeah. much more possible so so I think you're right like it's um I think that if, like, complicating those terms and complicating what does providing mean and what does protecting mean, right, uh, I think would add so much more value to people's lives. But you're right that it takes deep inner work because our society is not doing that work. You have to take that on individually.
0: Yeah, and and like as you said, the the group is is a very pro gun group. Like they love talking about hunting, fishing, like the mm. rites of passage. And to me, it's like, why do rites of passage with your dad have to be fishing or or hunting? Mm. Like the rite of passage isn't really the memory of hunting; it's the memory that you had with your dad. Why does it yeah. have to be specific about what you're doing? And if if you like hunting. By all means, make it hunting. Mm. That's where I think that there's a lot of complication too is because people on the left are, are kind of taught and told to hate the ideal man on the right and the ideal man on the right mm. is told to hate the ideal man on the left. So then mm. one calls them sissified, the other one calls them toxic. To me, it's like, mm. I talk about this quite a bit, is you can be a lumberjack who wears, has a beard grizzled and whatever, guns, loves to do it because that's where you grew up in rural America. Mm-hmm. Um, but, if you don't judge a guy who wears his nail polish mm-hmm. and maybe a little, looks a little bit more feminine or acts a little bit more feminine, then to mm-hmm. me it's like who cares because you're owning the masculinity that works best mm-hmm. for you? That's where yeah. I don't really like the the definition of toxic masculinity because mm-hmm. you know to me. One of the things that is talked about a lot is sports and how athletes will fight through pain to try to win uh, and, and assert dominance, competition. To me, that is totally okay if it's the choice of the man that is performing that way. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like a lot of it comes from their childhood. It's like maybe their dad put pressure on them to perform in sports. I've had conversations about that. But if it's on the onus of the man to to do it and they want to do it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that mentality, Mm -hmm. and I don't think we should be judging the people who throw themselves in that ring in that competition if that's what they love to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I think that's where a lot of the problem is. Like, if you're not, if if I'm not able to compete with a really competitive guy, then I should be the one getting out of the ring. I. Like, they shouldn't have to tone down their competitiveness so that mm-hmm. I have a chance. Like, I'm strongly against participation medals because I think that's a false way of, sh- like, the world. So, like, to me, the, I I feel more included in having conversations in the left. And I think a lot of, I feel scared sometimes being in the group that's on the right. But yeah. I see both in how they talk about each other, and that's not helping either. And I that's why I try to bridge that gap I talk to men that like cross-dressing and I like mm. talk I've talked to men who voted for Trump like there's yeah. I just try to connect the dots and that's all I I do and your book has helped me give lots of different topics mm. about it I, I had a whole d- I decided to do a whole episode on same-sex uh, gender roles because yeah. because of your book and I'm like why isn't it it just side assi- yeah. like assigned to the person who likes doing which likes the thing
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like good at the thing yeah and again if your thing. If you're a woman and I mean, I'm, I'm a very, I have the nurturing gene. Like I, I really, and it, it was just something that I always really had as a child. Right. And I, you know, was enrolled for a master's in social work. Like that was always going to be, that was always, you know, something that I liked, but I want to do that. And I feel good in that, and that doesn't mean that a woman who doesn't have the nurturing you know gene or need um, who wants to be a badass and be you know just be herself yeah we we kind of we're starting to give women more of that flexibility, and I think that we yeah we're not there yet when it comes to men and and to your point, I think then each uh archetype becomes a threat to the other, yeah, and they yeah become enemies instead of of um, uh yeah being just on a spectrum like right or co-workers
0: a- yeah yes. like in terms um, yeah. of being on a team like you have a coach you have players and everyone kind of has their different association mm. their different roles but for whatever reason when it comes to men we don't believe that we have different roles yeah. in society
1: okay. what's your like what do you think is the biggest mistake that the left does when it talks about masculinity that turns some of these guys off that would otherwise be on our side or on this side yeah what do you think is the biggest mistake
0: i think it's it's just the you know the one of the things that i get annoyed with about the left is that they preach empathy so much so much but they only hold empathy for people that aren't the people they need to be empathetic to. Like mm. I read this amazing quote recently and I'm quoting it all the time. It's like, morality is only what we apply to those that we dislike. Yeah.
1: And so it,
0: it's just this idea right. that, you know, if my best friend was part of going to get canceled or part of cancel culture or whatever, they had parts of their action. I would feel really empathetic to them because mm. my morality would be applied to them. Cause I, I, uh, I guess the general sense of my morality would go out the window because I know this person, I could be empathetic with them. So the mm-hmm. problem with social media is like, if we look at someone who did something bad and, and, or bad quote unquote, it's easy to label them as immoral because we don't know who that person is. We we can dislike them really easily because of that piece of information. It's a lot easier to apply morality to people that we don't like. And that's what I think is, is really the core issue. So when I think of masculinity on the left and and the kill all men movement, a lot of it comes down to, well, I've been hurt by men.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. But you're applying the same thought pattern of why people are racist, which is I've been hurt by a black man and now I don't like black men or black people. It's Mm -hmm. the same like, Thought process that's really dangerous communicated in a different way because men are the butt of society, or and we have the privilege, so we're not actually the butt of society. But a lot of men feel like they are because of the language that's used. Mm. So I think that would be the biggest problem, and I fail at it a lot too. I, I'm no high ground on empathy. I think re- empathy is really hard for me, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I've that's something I work through, it's something I try to probably one of my shadows. And, and I think that is the the hard problem is that it's really easy for men to feel targeted by the left or not feel included unless they change, especially when it comes to toxic masculinity. You know, I don't kind of determine it or, or think of it in the same way that a lot of people on the left do. As I mentioned, I think it's whatever masculinity that works best for you that doesn't allow you to hate other men performing the masculinity that works best for them. Mm -hmm. And and I think that is probably the biggest problem that a lot of people on the left that I've seen it make is that even for someone who tries to be on their side, I don't feel welcome, but like, I, I work hard to make other men like I'm that middle point. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm in a special place where I can bring the men who do feel Unheard, unlistened to to the left, because I can offer them some sort of guidance, or or you know I, I understand your pain points, but it's not really that bad. Like I understand that you feel accused and uh, hurt and unwelcome over here, but I mean this is is no better, and yeah, it's, it's just like a closet for. Mm. or actually doing the self-work that maybe needs to be needed to, to Mm. feel like you might be toxic and you might need to do some healing.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the difference, I think between, uh, so, so first of all, I, I, I agree like we, if, you know, the left wants to be the party of compassion and empathy and, uh, restorative justice, like that needs to apply to people who don't agree with us. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that's a really, that's something I think a lot about, you know, how do I make sure that I have empathy for people who, who I believe are, you know, I mean, even in the light of the Capitol riots, like, I mean, I'm not trying to have empathy for those people, but I felt really bad for them. (laughs) (laughs) I felt really bad for them. And I, I, it was the first time that I felt, yeah, sadness replaced anger. I mean, I was sad for every, I was sad for the, you know, the members who are being uh, targeted. I was sad for this country. I was sad for the world. I was sad for for so many. But I was like, oh, these are very, these are very harmed people Mm -hmm. who are doing something so harmful and, and, uh, and, and just. Unprecedented uh, with their pain and, and and their suffering, and it is being you know uh, yeah, yeah. It, it exploited in such a big way. Yeah, but I do think that like the example of you know women are frustrated at men because they've been hurt by one or two men is a little bit different. It's like it's actually more like people of color being frustrated at white people for having repeated experiences mm. of being denigrated by white people. Right. Cause like that's systematic and black people harming white people is not systematic. Right. Mm. And women hurting men certainly happens, mm. no doubt, <laughs> but that is not like institutionalized. Right. Yeah, like, okay. you, and, and, and put into every level of society and, And I think like this is the call that I try and do in the book, which is like your life for men will be better when women are not afraid of you. Your life will be, your dating life. I mean, I would love to be able to flirt again. I mean, like once we're all out and not wearing, you know, hiding our faces. Like I would love that when a man comes up to me in a public place, that my first inclination is not to remember all the, the ways that men have been, you know, harmful or made me feel unsafe in those ways, but that I could be like, what does this guy have to say? Like, maybe we just say good morning. And it is mm. like, I, like, I would love that for all genders. And this is the part where, yeah, it, it just to me is this win, win of, um, of, and, and and again, this idea that like those crappy men or those men who do crappy things are ruining ruining it for the rest of you. Yeah. <laughs> and like, reclaim your gender. Like, reclaim uh, the, yeah, your, your, your identity and your place in the world. And like, that was, you know, again, my hope with the book, but by, I didn't want to put toxic masculinity on the cover and be like, this is what, you know, men need to do differently. It's like, let's think of, of our, uh, you know, what are solutions? How can we, Uh, you know, undefine all of this. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not about redefining. It's not about me coming in and being like, this is what a man means. And, you know, people ask me, how do you define masculinity? I'm like, I'm not the one, first of all, I'm not the one who's going to do that. And every person's, you know, every man's uh, response is going to be different. And that's what we need, right? We need men to live, to to be free and live in a world where they're free too. So yeah, yeah, I just constantly see it as like glass half full.
0: Yeah. And that was a good point. Yeah, cuz because men are the oppressors in both situation that it's the same as uh, people of color being like all oh, right. white people suck. Yeah, that's a better yeah. way of right. going through it. Um yeah, and I I find that really interesting too because one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot recently is we seem to apply what happens in a relationship uh and how the power dynamics work there to outside of the house which i which is kind of mm. a new thing i've been thinking about a lot because there are things that seem to be true across a lot of relationships from what i've heard is like a, a woman can be indecisive about or knowing where to eat right and the man's <laughs> like okay we're going to go there but what happens with society is <laughs> you then apply okay because the man made a decision here he should make it everywhere when it's like mm. no how that works in a relationship between two people who are co leaders, like it's a co CEO, yeah. co CEO, is much different than a woman can't make decisions for a business. So there's a lot less of an investment there when it comes to how to lead. A home is completely different than a business. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of the traditional roles seem to be coming from. This is like an idea yeah. or thing that I've been mellowing out as I go on walks and, and trying to think about a bit more. And I wanted to kind of hear your take on that. Is it more that we're applying what happens in personal relationships to a broader society that might be causing some problems? Because I don't really think there's, like women can't lead businesses, which seems to be, because a woman can't lead a household, can't lead a household in airports, mm-hmm. they can't lead a business, which I'm like, those two have nothing to do with each other.
1: Nothing. Right. I mean, but that's where we learn right mm-hmm. our our you know you were talking about the way that you were raised and that 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 you know these quote-unquote gender roles were uh, presented to you. I mean, you probably didn't even know what gender roles meant, but mm-hmm. you were seeing it play out, in, you know, in your household. And so, the you know that and 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 those um, spaces are you know the first five years of our life, right? Like those are the most defining. Uh, you know, that's where our brain literally just forms itself. And so, what you see at that age, and and I think what you see growing up will end up reflecting and 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 guiding, right? What you think men do and what you think women do and it's been kind of amazing to see just how even like yeah having a female VP of color right and I have a friend who's uh has two young uh he has twins and they're both uh Indian and yeah it's just the fact that they can see this woman uh you know in that position it is just so 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 meaningful and it's something that you know to think about the next generation will never not know a mm-hmm. female VP, right? In the way that like our generation never knew a female VP, And so, yeah, I think those go hand in hand. And, and I think similarly to what we were saying before, we should play to people's strengths no matter where they are, right? No matter if they're in the household, um, no matter if they're at work, and that, you know, and this even goes to, you know, some women love taking notes. Some women love to do logistical work and, and let them do that, right? Like, I'm not saying, you know, men have to take on the roles that women tend to take on as a way to correct inequality. Like, I don't think that's what we're, um, that's not what we're striving towards. Like, we're, the, and my opinion, is to free everybody. And I just can't think of a better world than a world where everyone is free to be who they want to be. And, uh, you know, doesn't feel shamed for not being good at something or shamed for being bad at something that they are just their own individual person and so you don't have to suppress or repress anything and and i yeah i just can't think of a better of a better world and and what that looks like you know in terms of the job market in terms of you know just everyone doing what they love and what they're best at is just a, a better world to live in
0: yeah. I I remember the day after, is it called The Second Husband? Is that the, the title? The Second Gentleman. The yeah,
1: Second the, Gentleman? He's the first um, Second
0: Gentleman, yeah. What it, I found it really interesting because there was a tweet that went viral saying like how emasculating is this yeah. bio of it. And I just remember tweeting, imagine, because it said devoted father and proud husband. And I'm like, imagine thinking that those two terms are yeah. a bad emasculating thing. Like I don't, that's what I don't get is they, they want to mm. be a devoted father and a proud husband. That's what every man aspires to be. But then mm. there's emasculating when it, mm. you're doing it, but you play second fiddle. So it's not really about being a father and a husband. That's uh, the the emasculating part. It's about being yeah. first. It's about that power dynamic, which I thought was mm. really, it's a really broken way of <laughs> of looking at it.
1: It totally is. And, and, you know, I wrote an article for Cosmo about it, about just the idea that, you know, if we want a world where we tell girls to be more assertive and for them to become more assertive of women, we need to also tell boys that they can be more supportive and that being a supportive man is, is awesome. And just as badass.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: because actually like, and also even supporting, you know, anyone who's worked with anyone in the, in the creative arts or I mean really any business, right? Like, a CEO has a team, right? A, a celebrity, a singer, a songwriter, uh, they, they have that, there's always, you know, there's that producer. And, you know, you put the most talented person, like, I don't know, Trevor Noah, or, uh, you know, Amy Schumer, all these amazing, you know, comedians who, who um, are up there, any late night host, like, you put them there without their supporting role, which is the producer, and there's nothing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, not nothing, but it doesn't look the same. And so those are super important roles. And, and the same thing applies to, to um, the White House. I mean, like, we, the reason why, and I, you know, I was thinking about this a lot when I was writing the article. I was like, do we denigrate first ladies or, for, right, like that, you know, second gentleman, whatever you want to call it, do we denigrate it because women have tended to do that role. Like, is it just because, yeah, women tend to do it. And so we were like, eh, like, it's not that important or it's not that, but it's actually super important. If you think about the, you know, the work Michelle Obama did, the work that obviously Hillary Clinton, you know, tried to pass healthcare, um, (laughs) in the nineties, like, you know, the things that they did were incredibly important. And so Mm. it's, it's, yeah, it, it, I hope that because a man is doing it now, it shifts our own perception. Of that job and and mm-hmm. how important that job is.
0: Yeah, and we I mean, shouldn't
1: need we shouldn't need a man to do it for us to value it. But yeah. that's what I'm hoping the silver lining is.
0: Yeah, and I'm reading Obama's book right now, A Promised Land, and he talks yeah. about uh, the masculinization yeah. of the ro- of any woman in in politics. Like you can't wear a dress. I never noticed that Hillary Clinton and yeah. uh, Kamala never wore dresses until he pointed it yeah. out in his book. And I'm like, oh yeah, because that would probably that's make true. them look too like feminine and a man wouldn't vote for anyone who's too feminine. And that Mm. book is really showing me a lot about the masculinity in politics too. Mm. And I know Obama has talked about it quite a bit as well. Um, And another thing I wanted to talk with you about was, I mean, there's so much, I mean, we, there's so much I could talk to you about. Mm. Uh, Everyone listening again, go pick up uh, Liz's (laughs) book. Uh, Another book I always recommend to every guy to read is know my name by Chanel Miller. Uh, mm. which is something that uh, another line that stuck out to me in that book was how mm. cat calling. And you talked about women flirting, feeling safe. And she's yeah. like, I remember there's a, there's a quote that stuck with me really well. It's, you know, her boyfriend said something to her of like, I don't want to hear these stories of men hitting on you anymore. And she said, this is my life. I can't unsubscribe or or you don't get to unsubscribe just because you want to when this is something that I have to go through all the time. I mm. want you to know like my pain. And that yeah. line made me cry when I was reading the book. <sighs> I'm like, oh my goodness. Like every guy needs to read this book right now to understand the systems, mm-hmm. and what my favorite part about your book too is that you talk about the systems, not the men. You know, we paint all men as being violent, not that the system promotes violence. You know, we when you look at when we we're talking about the Capitol Hill, my thing is attack the ideology, not the person. Like, mm-hmm. what was the ideology that got that person to Capitol Hill? Don't attack the person. Mm-hmm. That's where empathy really is. You can have empathy mm-hmm. for the person without empathizing with the Ideology, and I wanted to hear your mm-hmm. thoughts with that, and then the process of unlearning. Like, how do you unlearn those ideologies?
1: Yeah, so big. Um, I think that one of the most destructive beliefs that we hold about men is that they're inherently violent. That there's something about you <laughs> that um, that you can't help. Which I think is such a when anyone tells you that, like, oh, you just, you're like this, and you can't even help it, like, there's something, it's, it's you know, it's actually, it's like learned helplessness. You just think, like, no matter what I do, this is just going to be the outcome, so I matter, I might as well not try, I might as well not, you know, yeah, do, again, whatever you want to call it, the shadow work. And there's this really great quote um, that I have above uh, above my, my uh, wall, or on my wall, that said, you know, it says sad is mad's bodyguard. Sorry, mad mm. is sad's bodyguard. Yes. Um, right? So that, that, yes, anger is a real emotion that, that is, you know, all emotions have messages. And usually anger is actually a um, message that a boundary has been crossed, that something, you know, is, is not right. And we should listen to our anger. Um, but The problem is, when that anger is acted upon, right? Like, anger's not the problem, the behavior is the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of, 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 of men particularly, yeah, anger leads to violence, anger leads to, you know, capital riot, anger leads to domestic violence, suicide, right? Whatever you wanna, you know, there's so many different, uh, choose your own, you know, adventure. And when we say that anger, that violence is inherent and it's biological and it's hardwired, um, which is is not true, and I go into detail in the book about why that's that's not true. Um, yeah, we we create expectations that men end up fulfilling when we say yeah. boys will be boys, and we say that's just the way that you know that's just the way you are and the way you will be. Uh, it's it's very limiting um, to, to 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 tell that to someone. I mean, imagine again, like if we said that to any other group, like if we. Told a person with a disability, you're just gonna, like, you're you're, disabled people are gonna disabled, like, you know, or uh, black people. You're just, and and we do do this, by the way. We we create it, and I talk about um, it in the book, and and I interview, you know, um, someone who was in Brother's Keeper, which was Obama's program for for young black men. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Mo, yeah. <laughs> yes, He's so great. He's such a G. Um, he's amazing. And, and yeah, he says, you know, we create, I mean, for, for black boys, it's, it's even more uh, pernicious, right? Like you're just going to become like, you're going to end up in jail or you're going to end up selling drugs. And that's like the best you can be is be a basketball player. Right. Yeah. And And in many ways, like that that's not just like an invented uh system it is uh because of anyway many institutional factors very much the reality for a lot of black men in america but 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 yeah we 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 sort of in you know if we if we tell black boys like you're that's what's going to happen to you that's just like what the that's what's in the cards that's what they're going to end up doing and being it's a self-fulfilling prophecy it totally is and so we need to stop saying those things (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just in the way that we needed to, you know, we needed to stop telling girls that they can't be leaders and telling girls that, you know, they can uh, work in computer science and STEM and coding and all these things, right? There's all these forces at play that are encouraging girls to unlearn those things. And we really need the same kind of uh, curiosity. We need the same kind of resources and efforts put behind boys unlearning those things, too, yeah. um, when it comes to when it comes to them.
0: Yeah. And and what you said about anger is so true. I had a guest on that said, anger is simply sadness masked. And exactly, it's yeah. basically the, the the same quote along the same lines. And one of the things I've been talking about quite a lot is I tell men, your anger is valid. That's true. That doesn't make it right. And one of the things that I've seen more and more as I've gotten into this is, there seems to be only two emotions men can feel and one is anger and like one is happiness. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole range of why you might be angry. Well, why are you angry? Are Mm -hmm. you lonely? Are you hurt? Are you upset? Mm -hmm. Are you disappointed? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. get to the core understanding of where that pain actually is. And you might find that it's not anger, but anger is the only emotion that you've been told that you're allowed to have. And then I also loved how in your book, you talk about the shame loop because when you have anger, you then feel ashamed of whatever you did in that anger, or you feel mm-hmm. ashamed of being angry, mm-hmm. and then you just have more anger at yourself for being mm-hmm. shame, and then it's a whole yeah. negative cycle of mm-hmm. of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's where I see a lot of the problems is we don't know, emotion, we're not emotionally intelligent enough about the emotions that we are feeling
1: mm-hmm. that
0: is why we don't know what to do when we're feeling that way. So like mm-hmm. one of the things I'm doing this year is I'm journaling, I'm meditating more and I'm trying to start therapy. I don't think I like need therapy in the sense mm-hmm. of, of needing therapy, but I want to do, I want to understand myself more and mm-hmm. I want to have the tools of self awareness that I think my friends who, go to therapy have and i'm like that's what i need to unlearn myself and i do a lot of that Mm. on my own but also just through talking with people i'm like i know less about masculinity than i did before but i i don't well i guess i know more but i just know (laughs) like i don't know what it is like i still get Mm. lost but I still feel comfortable in it. It's a whole range of emotions that I don't know yeah. how to- I
1: think, feel. well, that's the sign that you are learning. When you feel like you don't know anything about something, it means, because, right? Like, it's when you think you know everything about something that usually like, yeah. but the more you learn about something, the more you realize how much you have to learn it. I mean, that's how I feel too. And I, I wrote a book about this. Like, I feel like there's, you know, even in this conversation, I'm learning and um, and, and I think being, you know, my sister does emotional intelligence training for um, children at her elementary school and one of the things she just uh you know really talks about and and, you know if it's helpful to anyone listening right now who's like yeah I don't know how I feel and I'm in this anger shame loop and being able to just label how you're feeling and being able to say right now I feel fill in the blank I feel disappointed I feel lonely I feel sad I feel uh you know (laughs) angry um just being able to do that offers relief because we spend so much time and I do this too we all do it it's not just like this is men's problem like we all need more emotional literacy and more emotional uh, uh, awareness but we have so many ways of avoiding the way that we're feeling um because again we're not supposed to feel this way we're not supposed to we're supposed to be perky we're supposed to be happy we're supposed to be strong we're supposed to be powerful um but just being able to like sit with yourself and really, really think about how you're feeling, which sometimes it will take several minutes. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not okay. And I don't know why. Um, that's okay, but sit with it and figure out what it is and it will have less power over you Mm. than if you, you know, do all the other things you could do instead. 100%.
0: Yeah. For me, going on walks at the end of every day has Mm -hmm. been like the best mind clearing thing I've I've started this year. Okay. So in terms of you wrote this book as a woman, what do you think men should know about your approach to this book and why men should listen to women on the topic of masculinity?
1: Mm. Well, I think just like Uh, it's important for white people to listen to black and brown people about whiteness. I think it's important to listen to women about masculinity because, unfortunately, what I've learned through just racial justice work is that people of color know more about my whiteness than I do because they have often (laughs) been right on the receiving end of it or have been you know, involved in that structure in a way that is, you know, almost, it is impossible to ignore. It's easier to, it's easier to ignore when you're not at the, at the bottom. Right. And this is not a, you know, a dig at men to say like, you're just not aware and like, but yeah, women have an intense knowledge of men, (laughs) most women, uh, because it's a very dynamic, it's a very dynamic relationship. Um, and it's, and it's an inevitable relationship. Again, I don't know any woman who doesn't know a single man, but yeah, I think that there's a lot that you can learn from women. Mm -hmm. And I think that those conversations and vice versa, right. I I think that those conversations are, are, are really important. And that's why I, I wrote a book about men, even though I'm not a man, because yeah, I, I just through being a woman, um, and sort of your point about observing, right? Um, Women, yeah, observe men. And we, because we learn, you know, to fear men and we learn Mm -hmm. to surveil. And uh, so we do know a lot about men, but also we want to talk about it with you. We want to know what it's like for you to be a man too, right? Like this is where I think exchanging um, and having a really compassionate conversation between men and women is really, really important where each person really listens, (laughs) which is really hard.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it is. And I've had more women reach out to me being like, you know, I love what you're doing with the show and, and the topics that you're talking about. Then I have men, men, men tell me I'm courageous for doing it. Women just seem to be all in about what a, like the topics and I, know, I it's so
1: strange I will
0: say Liz that when I first read your book I went into it thinking what is a woman going to tell me about masculinity yeah. and then I ended up and I'm like this is the best book I read about masculinity because <laughs> I I began to look at it as you know if you if you think of a crime or or kind of something where police get involved you go to the victim who a surviving victim to figure out what happened and women have been the victims of men's violence for so long and men have been the victim of men's violence for so long yeah then why aren't we trying to get their idea of why men might be causing violence and that's how i started to to see it is you don't go like you just you have to get all the evidence that you can and women Mm -hmm. are part of that conversation they're part of that that evidence that build up. And I think the same goes for, for women as, as exactly what you said, listen to men when it comes to either the issues mm-hmm. they have with feminism or womanhood or their own masculinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're allies in this a lot more than we think. We don't have to be enemies. Mm. Um, the, the last question I want to ask you is you talked about your dad I read you know your dad loved waffles uh, in the book and, and had a whole system of that what's like the biggest lesson that you learned from your dad and and what's a message that you want to share if you had a future son or or even just the men listening to this
1: mm. wow yeah my dad you know I, did, I was in the vagina monologues uh, when I was in my 20s and I wrote in the, you know, whatever, the program, thank you to my mom for always accepting me. I don't remember what I wrote about my mom. I said something, you know, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I got know. She's amazing. But like, and then I wrote, and thank you to my dad for always challenging me to be the best. And my dad came over to me after the play. And he came both nights I think I write that in the book. He came both nights with his camcorder, because the first night the sound was not ideal. So I had to talk about my vagina, or not my vagina, but say the word vagina over and over again, uh, twice uh, in front of my dad. And he came over to me and he said, "You know, Lee, I mean he calls me Lisa." He's like, "Lisa, I don't, I don't challenge. I don't want to challenge you to be the best." I've always challenged you to do your best, and that really stuck with me, and is something I think a lot about. And uh, so that's definitely the the best lesson I've I've uh, or one of the most important lessons I've, I've learned from him. And I think it applies to everyone, men or women. And what was your second question about him? What have I learned? about Like, masculine? what would be yeah. one
0: thing that you'd want yeah. to pass down to men or or a future son if you if you had one?
1: Yeah. Well, so my dad, I love to like talk about him on, or like do stuff with him on Instagram. And like, he's very reluctant, uh, because he doesn't understand why he's funny. Like he is Bernie Sanders. Like I'm, mm. I'm really not joking. Like he is, has had the same jacket for the last 40 years. It is definitely made by like, he, he literally gave me those mittens. Like those mittens were, I, I actually sent him a photo. Like he, yeah, it has, is very humble in his uh in his way of life and, and yeah. his personality and um and, and just value driven and at one point i was like oh i should because i was making these vigorous energy t-shirts and and these sort of feminist t-shirts and i was like oh we should do i should take a photo of you for my instagram and he kind of was like I don't I don't like I don't know about this and, and even when he read my book he was very uh it, it took him forever to even read it and to read the part about himself and he finished it and he was like okay i'm glad it's not too like uh, showy about me and 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 saying that i'm such a great dad because like i'm not like i'm just a regular person trying to do my best and same thing with the feminist t- shirts like i don't want of like i'm a feminist like like feminism to him it, it, from what i you know learned from that experience and and again being a father and like we're not things that he like are things that he's continuously working through and on right it's not like it's not a label that you get to it's a journey you're on Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: that to me is allyship that to me is mindful masculinity that to me is also like even being a woman in the world and being a quote-unquote empowered woman in the world like like I fall down all the time. Like I fall for diet culture all the time. I fall for all kinds of uh, all kinds of you know gendered biases, and so yeah, I really think staying really humble mm-hmm. actually is just a way better way to approach it because then you're not defensive because you are you have not claimed to be a good guy, you have not claimed to be this feminist ideal, um, you have not claimed to be this good white you know person like you're just you, mm-hmm. and you're always going to be learning, and that to me when i'm in a place where I am open to to, to learning it, it, it is is just the best place I can be and when i'm close to it when i'm defensive when i 'm in that dark, like, I hate that. Yeah. So, I think, like, that would be my word of encouragement for my own son and for any man who's listening or any person who's listening. Like, yeah, don't get lost in, in trying to achieve that mm. um, awareness or, uh, you know, evolved state of being. Like, it's okay to just be, like, do your best at yeah. it. Not yeah. be the best at it.
0: Yeah. And I possible. love that my your dad reminded me so much of my dad when I was reading the book because I'm like oh my goodness this is my dad's like a fan favorite between my friends and like everyone loves my dad everyone says I'm the second favorite like west um so it it happens quite often and he doesn't know why he's so well loved by by everyone He's he's so confused but my dad like I remember reading your book at my cottage that Was when I asked my dad, "I'm like, hey, are you proud of this journey I'm on?" And only recently was I reminded of that. I'm like, Mm. Dad, are you proud of me in this podcast? And then that's also when I asked him to be on my podcast. So I did a two-hour interview with him at the cottage on my birthday. It was like a whole thing. (gasps) Uh, And I wanted to say, like, your book was is a huge part of what I'm doing here, and. I love it. I recommend everyone go mm-hmm. get it. I've recommended the book to almost everyone I've had on the podcast. Thank um, you. So that it, 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 yeah, everyone listening, this is a dream come true interviewing <laughs> and, and talking with with Liz. It's
1: my uh, dream come true. Uh, this is so insightful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so, you.
0: Uh, I'm going to link all your social media is the book in the description as well uh thank you so much for being here is there anything that you want to share with the audience before i let you go in in the next two minutes
1: (laughs) no i'm 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 just happy to be here and you know wherever you are on your journey is the right place for you to be and um yeah just um don't don't be too hard on yourself and yeah that's it that's it it's a hard year just do what you can, yes. um, and, and, and do it with the right people and surround yourself by the right people.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you everyone for listening. And, uh, I'm sure I'll have you back on in the future.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode with Liz. Again, if you'd like to follow her on social media, I've linked all of those in the description of this podcast. I've also linked where you can get her book the paperback Um, should be on our website so i'll link it down there Um, i'm also getting a couple copies from liz and her team so when those come again i'll be posting them on instagram for uh, a, a giveaway a competition to see um, who will get them so make sure to follow me on instagram at the imperfect pod again if you want to continue the conversation my email is always open luke at the imperfect or again the facebook group the imperfect group um, so again thank you everyone so much I hope you really enjoyed this episode I enjoyed Liz and her genuine personality how fun she was and I hope uh, we're going to create a part two in the future so uh, thank you everyone so much and I'll see you all next week